Injury takes you out of the game. It's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care that you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. I'm Robin Lude, and you are listening to Sound of the Looms. afternoon or evening, depending on when this finds you. Welcome to the Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. I'm Steve McPherson, and I'm delighted to once again be joined by your friend and mine, Minnesota United's color commentator, Kendra D. St. Aubin. I know you are a fan of a good fancy coffee drink, Kendra. Are you a pumpkin spice person in the fall when the weather gets a little chillier? You know, what's funny is I'm not a seasonal drink person and you know how you know that i'm not a seasonal because i have iced coffee in the (laughs) middle of the frigid winter it can be 30 below outside and and i mean i i people joke and my neighbor makes fun of me like if i showed you my drink it's really not that complicated but there's a lot of sugar in it a lot of caramel a lot of sugar so Um, you've shown me the sticker and it it has has several paragraphs of information (laughs) um what what is your what is your go-to order i want to know now well so it's it's just an iced coffee okay. with caramel syrup, caramel drizzle, cream, and a packet of raw sugar. <laughs> but I also get it in a, it's a grande in a venti cup with extra ice. So I started doing that, like as I, I would get it on my way to practice. And then I'd okay. go stand out at practice and it's 85, 90 degrees or whatever when I lived in Arizona. So I'd always get it in a bigger cup with ice because otherwise the ice just melts and it's like all watered down and just gets warm. So I, I think that adds an extra line or two. So it's not as excessive because I don't know if you heard about apparently like some Starbucks baristas got in trouble a while ago because they were posting on social media, some people's like insane stickers of their ridiculous orders. And then Starbucks (laughs) kind of like shunned them. Sure. sure. But it was actually really funny. You go and read some of these and you're like, Oh my gosh, how do you even think to put all that in a drink? You know, but I'm not a, uh, my, my broadcast partner from the world cup, Jen Hildreth, pumpkin spice, everything. And there are some people that cannot wait for the seasonal, (laughs) drinks to come out are you one of those people or are you just am, like a straight black coffee guy i am i am not a pumpkin spice person overall uh i i'm I, i'm a hot black coffee person basically year round uh occasionally i will get iced black coffee and if i want a treat i will put some milk in it that's <laughs> that's about the extent of 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 that for me uh so i'm very bare bones my sticker is is much shorter than your yours so the the, the venti in the ground so I'm not familiar with the sizes. Is that a smaller size and a bigger cup or a bigger yes. size? Okay. Okay. So, so a grande is technically a medium in Starbucks and a venti okay. is like a large. So you get the grande amount of coffee. So it's not that much coffee, but they I just see. put a ton of extra ice in it. So I see. Okay. that's sort of my, uh, I don't even know how I came up with that one day, but <laughs> it's, it's funny that you say that you're a black coffee year round because there are times where we're out at practice, you know, and it's 90 degrees and humid here in Minnesota and Cal's got a hot coffee in his hand. He can't figure out why he's sweating so much. And I'm like, you gotta, <laughs> you gotta switch it up. Maybe just ice water. If you don't like iced coffee, because you can yeah. be drinking a hot coffee standing out here at practice for an hour and a half. 
yeah, I, you know, I don't know. The hot coffee is just like, it, it's like a productivity thing. Like I drink coffee in the mornings. And so it's like, if I have iced coffee, I feel like I'm on vacation or something. And, <laughs> and I, I just don't, I don't feel like I'm ready to work. So the coffee is like a thing that, that, that puts me in the mindset of being ready to work. So I totally get, and sometimes it's just, it's just the routine. I grew up, my parents drink coffee. And so I grew up smelling coffee in the morning. You know, they always yeah, had totally. a pot of coffee. Brew, and I love that. I love that smell. Like if I'm up at my parents' cabin or something, I'll drink a coffee on the deck in the morning, a hot mm-hmm. coffee. Yes. You know, so there are there are times when it, it, it's, it definitely makes sense. And it's sort of nostalgic for me, um, having grown up with the hot coffee. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't know how, but I think once I just got into Arizona and I drink ice all the time and then you know, I'm always running around and I'm usually running out the door and that's when I grab my iced coffee. I'm not a sure. get up in the morning and brew it kind of, of, of a person for some I hear reason. You. I don't know why. But. I hear you. Um, it makes sense in Arizona. It's really, it's really hot there. So um, <laughs> speaking of not being ready to work, let's start about how Houston started the game against Minnesota United. That was a completely unplanned segue, um, but we're going to go back because we didn't, we, we have so many games packed in here. I haven't talked to anybody about the Houston Dynamo win. And obviously uh, just last night, we're recording this Thursday morning, Minnesota United fell to DC United uh, in a, in a vicious United against United match. Um, let's start with Houston though. I don't know if you've heard this uh, before, but goals change games. And uh, when a team scores that quickly, so so Robin Lud scored 50 seconds into the game, which was the fastest Minnesota United goal in MLS history, beating Adrian Unu scored in the second minute, I believe, uh, earlier this season. And so that was against the Portland. Fast- yeah, against Portland, right? So that was the fastest so far. This one beat that. Um, yes, they changed the game, but. How specifically does it change the game, both for the team that scored and the team that now has to come back? Because we've also seen Minnesota United, I think it was against Montreal a while, maybe it was a couple of years ago, like conceded a goal within the first like minute or two and then had to come back and actually won that game. Specifically for the players, like what do you think happens? Because obviously if a game starts and there's like, these are our tactics, this is our lineup, this is how we're going to approach it. And then before you've eat, the whistle has even died, you're down a goal. What does that do for both teams separately? Like the team that scored and then also the team that now has to come back. Well, I think there's kind of two things that happen there. And part of it is just, is just a mental aspect of it. And then part of it is the actual tactical aspect. And what does that mean for your team now going forward, whether you're the team that scored or you're whether you're the team that got scored on, I think for Minnesota United against Houston and Minnesota United in general, specifically this season where they have struggled to capitalize on their opportunities, struggled to finish their chances. When you get those early goals and even the LA galaxy game, if we go back one more game, that mm-hmm. felt like an early goal. And that was what? 10, seven, five, I don't even remember how many minutes in, but and the first 10 like, minutes is very fast for Minnesota. Ex- exactly. So. And, and so for them to, to finish an opportunity that has been presented themselves rather than you have a, an opportunity like that, that just goes begging and, and you miss, mm-hmm. I think mentally that completely changes your mindset, especially when you're a team that has struggled to score goals. So there's the mental aspect of it, of a weight being lifted off your shoulder. If you, if you're the team that scores, if you're a team that traditionally can, can come from behind. And we've seen some of those teams before that has this fortitude that this never say die come from behind for some reason, they have a, a knack of doing that. Then if you get scored on, it's not as big of a deal. 
But it also depends on if you're home or on the road. If you're Tab Ramos and you're on the road and you're Houston Dynamo and you give up a goal in the first minute of the game and you're a team that's already struggled and has yet to win on the road this season, the deflation factor, I think, has got to be monumental, you know, aside from, again, the tactical changes when you're chasing the game, completely change the way you're going to play the game. If you're a home team and you score early, I think it just gives you more confidence. It just gives Mm -hmm. you more momentum, more eagerness to go forward. And you're not taking risks. You're just, you're just proving that you have the ability to go forward with confidence on your home field. And if you're on the road, then you're chasing the game even more so. And if you're Tab Ramos and you're Houston Dynamo, when you can't win on the road and you can't hardly win the whole season, then you, you could see his body language the second that goal went in. And when they almost got scored on in their prior game, against Dallas, the same body language, but just missed, you know, and then Houston came back and scored against Dallas. So it's crazy how a near miss versus a goal can completely change the way a game is played. And honestly, it's almost to me more mental than it is even tactical because that early in the game, you probably don't want to change too much from a home team or an away team because there's still so much game left. You've got 89 minutes left of the game. So I don't think tactically you really need to change that much. It's like, okay, maybe that was a one mistake, a one breakdown. This isn't like a, a, Hey, we can evaluate how we've lined up and how we've thrown the team out there and this isn't working and we need to make a change. This is like, somebody probably had a turnover or somebody missed a mark and it's a one-off mistake and you kind of lock it down and, and then you go back to the way you had your game plan. But um, I think it's more mental and emotional than anything for both sides. Yeah. I, I feel like for the, it, for the dynamo, it sort of harkens back to Minnesota United's early first couple of years in, in MLS where you'd give up one of those goals and then it was just like, well, here we, we go gotta, again. We, we got to climb this hill again. You know, it's yeah. The tactical thing is interesting because it does feel sort of, I, I'd be interested to know. I don't even know how you would parse this. This would be, this would be some, some hard work to go through and figure out. But I wonder if you go back and look at games where, you know, teams are conceding like four or five, six goals. Um, how many of those started with a goal that came really quickly? Cause my feeling is that like that first you know, goal coming that quickly is not a result of tactics basically at all. It's basically a result of, like you said, a one mistake, just not starting crisp. And then, you know, it's, it's not like the game plan for Minnesota United was to get Fragapane the, the ball on the left side and send it to Lud who's streaking through the, the, you know, the, the area and then hitting a shot on his non-favored foot at a hard angle. It's like, it just happened. Like it just happened. And it was great to see because Minnesota United has not had very many of those things happen where they got a goal that they should not have gotten. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about the numbers behind that later. But um, for me, as someone who has lived in Minnesota for many years now and has followed Minnesota sports closely, when there's an early goal scored, I just catastrophize. I'm like, well, now we're in trouble (laughs) because it's, to me, it's a lot of pressure when you go up that early, I find that difficult to deal with. I'm like, something's got to go wrong. That's my personal mentality. Yeah. Hey, I I totally feel you on that one because I think we have seen that we've suffered through that as Minnesota sports fans for, you know, most of our lives, to be honest. I mean, even like just to throw it to another sport quickly, the Vikings scored quickly in their last game at home in their first home game with fans in the building. And you're like, Oh geez, like (laughs) 
instead of instead of being instead of being excited about it and elated about it you're kind of like oh gosh you know is this going to hold up is this a fluke thing and and with Minnesota United of course you feel good about you know the group that's out there mm-hmm. and you feel good about the roster but we all know that like soccer is just not that way when you have that kind of opportunity that is still going to exist and that that amount of time on the clock so much can happen and if it, you know, it can go one of two ways with soccer, you know, you can possess the ball 99% of the time and absolutely dominate and play this beautiful soccer and not be able to score. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, and the other team goes down one time, gets a penalty, gets a handball, gets a deflection, whatever it might be. And you end up losing. So it's one of those few sports that you can um, dominate in every statistical category and not come away with a win or a goal. And um, so I think when you see Minnesota capitalize on that early chance in that game against Houston, there is a sense of relief because mm-hmm. they can't, they have, they have struggled to score on the season and the way they manufactured that goal is what you expect and want to see from this group when they're on the field in that formation. That is what you, at least I envision happening when you have those kind of players on the field together in those positions. Yeah. And I think that the, you know, again, I understand Minnesota sports fans have a lot of inherited uh, psychological issues with, with being up or holding leads or, 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 or things like that. But it's certainly one of those things that a team builds over time. And I don't mean over a season, I mean, over years. And I think Minnesota United has built up a certain reserve of, you've seen the season, the team come back from, from going down early and, and, and take wins, which is not something you would have expected a couple of years ago for this team. And it's the kind of thing you look at a team like Seattle Sounders always come to mind. Like they're a team that never looks like when they go down, they're not like, this is a problem. They're like, this is how we play. Like we're the Sounders. This is the expectation is whatever happens, we're going to come back. And I think that's the kind of thing that you sort of build up over time um, and over years. And I think it might be a, a, a while still before Minnesota fans start to feel like they can feel confident in Minnesota United holding those leads or, or coming back. Even if, uh, even if Minnesota United, the team is, is it feels fairly confident in that it's, it is true that the team was um, lucky uh, to get away with a two goal shutout in this, in this game against Houston. Um, it's, it's sort of the kind of result that teams need uh, sometimes like you, you're not always going to get the reward um, for your hard work as Adrian would often put it. Um, it it's actually, I, I went and dug into this a little bit. This was the first time the Minnesota United this season have had fewer expected goals than the other team in one. Um, you know, if you look at expected goals, which sort of measure the, the quality of your chance and sort of what you're saying, it's like a, the, the possession or things like that. Expected goals is a way to hopefully, you know, understand how the quality of the chances were. This is the first time they've had fewer expected goals than the other team in one versus, are you ready? Eight games in which they've had more expected goals than the opponent and lost or drawn. So that's eight games. And that includes obviously things like being up a man against, you know, San Jose and SKC and, 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 and drawing those games. So they've really never gotten the chance to sort of squeak one out. And this was this game against Houston was sort of that game for them this season. Well, don't you kind of find too with, with the shutout, how important that is. And we've talked about that and, and you could really sense the locking down of, the defense all over the field. And Tyler Meller said this in the middle of the week, and I think they did it kind of similar against LA Galaxy too, where guys until the final whistle were throwing their body in front of the ball, getting the blocks, getting the slide tackles, covering um, defensively when someone would push on or, or be out of position. And that was a three, nothing win. So you clearly had a win in the bag in the 80th minute, 85th minute, whatever it might be. But mm-hmm. knowing how important it is to lock it down and get the shutout and how important that is to the group 
to really feel like you didn't give anything up. And, and, and the kind of the reverse example of that is if anybody saw the DC United game, not last night for Minnesota United, but against FC Cincinnati in their prior game, you, you kind of felt like they ended up with a, I think it was a four, two win, Yep. but they gave up two goals in the last 10 minutes. The wheels kind of fell off and they almost gave up, you know, an additional chance or two to a, a bottom of the table team in FC Cincinnati in the Eastern conference. So I, I don't think they felt good about that win, even though it was four, two, but it was a four, two win at home in a game, which should have been four, nothing. So I, I think a lot of times it's not just about the scoreline um, and, that, and that you get the win. It's about how you've gotten the win or how you lost the game. That's mm-hmm. more telling to me than just what the actual score sheet says. Yeah, it's funny because, uh, again, going back to that earlier, earlier Minnesota United teams, every once in a while, I have a reason to go back and and look at things like, you know, when when Darren Quintero had a hat trick and you're like, what a great game. And then you're like, it was five, three, I think, like, <laughs> like a, a lot of great early Minnesota United games are like we won, but it probably shouldn't have been four, three games or three, two games. Like, you know, so I think it shows how far that's come. Um, I, I want to bring up Tyler Miller specifically. Um, obviously, the, the whole defense goes into it. And I think Tyler is very good good about um, emphasizing how it's a team effort and it's, you know, it's not just him, um, which also means it's not just his fault when things go wrong. But, um, you know, when I was talking, I talked with him last week along with uh, Dr. Greg Folsom about his recovery from injury and everything like that. And, and, you know, he sort of seemed to, he's a very humble guy. He's not going to go out there and, and, and sort of toot his own horn. Um, but he sort of seemed to imply that in learning to recover, he fixed a lot about his body positioning, sort of what I believe you would call your proprioception, like your sense of where your body is in space, and that he feels like he's capable of things he's he hasn't done before. He's way up there in shutouts. He's way up there in goals against average. Is Tyler Miller a better goalkeeper now than he was before the injury? Well, I would have to say that I think it's also mental. It's not just about his his positioning. And I can't mm-hmm. remember now if, if, if Tyler Miller was somebody else who was explaining to me about how he envisioned himself as like a rock in the bottom of a stream and like the water just flowing over him and like you can only control so much. And I apologize, Tyler. It wasn't you that said that to me. It was somebody else. But talking about coming back from an injury like that, I mean, double hip impingement surgery Mm -hmm. and the timing, and he's still very young, but the timing of when to do that, what's the right time and feeling like you could downright be Wally pipped in the moment. And, and, you know, being where you, you are out on an injury and somebody steps in and performs really well because everybody knows that Dane St. Clair is a phenomenal young Mm -hmm. goalkeeper. And, you know, you know, things work in mysterious ways. The world works in mysterious ways that the team starts out 0-4, which is not Dane St. Clair's fault, but, you know, you need to make a change. It's like we see in hockey with goalkeepers. Yep. And Tyler steps in and is playing out of his mind. And he played out of his mind in preseason, too. I mean, Adrian, he said that. Like, he played phenomenal. And I do think that Tyler, mentally, physically, emotionally, he came back in a better spot. And this wasn't a guy that I had, like, these insane conversations with when he arrived. Cause you think about when he arrived and then it was 2020 and everything shut down. We weren't traveling on the road. You don't have the time to have these off the record conversations with people. But I do remember when he came over from LAFC, he was so happy to be here. Just didn't, wasn't, wasn't really enjoying his time at LAFC and in that environment and, mm-hmm. and sort of what that was doing for him mentally and emotionally. And this is just what I gathered. This wasn't some private conversation we had or off the record, but just sort of what I gathered from his body language and some of the interviews that we did. And so I think he was elated to be here in 2020. And then, you know, the pandemic happened, then he decides to have the surgery and then he comes back better and stronger. And I think just more aware 
of his body, what he needed to do positionally. I think he's got a fantastic goalkeeping coach and Stuart Kerr, and he appreciates mm-hmm. his energy. And um, I mean, I appreciate his energy when I hear Stuart yelling at training. <laughs> sure. I can only understand like every other word, <laughs> but I still love just the tone he brings. And I think, you know, I what a great conversation for you to have with Tyler and with his doctor, because I think what we have all learned in sports and in life is nothing is just about the physical aspect anymore, you know, especially Mm -hmm. as athletes with injuries, so much goes into the mental side of things and and recovering. Um, you know, my, my husband's cousin just did her whole knee, um, in their last exhibition game for the, the Gophers and just had surgery on it and what a long haul that is, but how it's as much mental, I think, as it is physical. And so I'm happy for Tyler that he's having the season that he's having. And I think the guy's, um, appreciate him and appreciate his abilities in the back. Yeah, I can see, I can definitely see Tyler talking about being a ronk and having water flow. I, th- I think Nico Hansen is my other nominee for a guy who would oh, say, Oh, see, and um, maybe it was like him that, too, so. because I did talk to Nico one time too for a radio <laughs> interview. So I'm going to have to double check with those guys when I go back, back to practice marks. I don't want to put words in anybody's mouth, but it sounds like a cool concept, you know? Yeah. Like yeah. Cool I like therapy session, like how you just have to go with the flow. Like you yeah. can only can control what you can control. For sure. Uh, Now seems like a good time to mention that uh, when injury takes you out of the game, it's time for your team to step up. At Alina Health Orthopedics, you'll get expert care backed by a whole health system of providers with convenient locations, virtual options, and an app that gives you 24-7 access to your records, test results, and care team. You're always close to the care you need. Schedule now at alinahealth.org slash ortho. All right, let's move again. Let's move along to the game against DC United uh, from last night. Obviously, the team just. Did I'm, not I'm really curious how you're going to intro this one. <laughs> play very well. Uh, you know, it's 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 a difficult situation um, for the team. I think coming into this, uh, you're you know you think about the extent to which the league has now gone to in like intra conference. Uh, they don't the conferences don't play each other that much. There's only two Eastern Conference opponents for Minnesota United this season. That's very different than it was a couple of years ago. Um, it leads to these situations where all these games are six point games. You only have a couple of these games where you're playing against teams who winning does not directly affect your, your place in the standings. So in to some extent, you want to say this is a time to rotate, especially because there's this difficult stretch coming up. Um, you're in the middle of this difficult stretch a uh, with multiple games in this week. Uh, and so you know, Adrian, Heath elected to go with a formation change. He played five at the back, um, you know, in the post game, uh, his post game comments, uh, he sort of downplayed the formation change saying that the team just didn't simply didn't compete. They didn't get out there and didn't go hard, which, I mean, I think that's overall, that's true. You could play five at the back. Obviously the team has played five at the back or three at the back, you know, sort of depending on how you want to talk about wing backs versus fullbacks, but, um, and had success for sure. Um, but I do think that it's one of those things I, I believe that, you, you know, you had mentioned that communication is so key among center backs and just not having that be a sort of ingrained thing, but something you're sort of, obviously those guys have all played in different positions again, as he said, but it's just sometimes if things don't go right, right away, if you give up an early penalty as the team did last night, I think it can just lead to, you don't have a fallback position. A lot of times there's not sort of that, just that inborn confidence amongst the back line that they all know where they're supposed to be all the time. Um, 
you know, I, I was looking at the stats, Minnesota United, very good defensively. Again, as, as much as the team has struggled sometimes to score and finish chances, they're seventh in expected goals allowed playing the way they've always played with two center backs this season. Um, they've had good results. Um, I did, I sort of, as I was sort of going through, I was like, maybe they should have gone four, three, three, but then you look at the, the options in, in the midfield and maybe that's where Adrian Heath came up and felt like we don't have those guys right now. You don't have Grey Goose. You don't have Alonzo. You don't have Dotson. You've got Hayes and Trap out there. It, maybe it was just a factor of he could he would have gone four three three had he had the personnel to put those guys out in the defensive midfield. Um, it, was that a thought that you had looking at the game, or you know what were your thoughts about just the, that defensive situation? Well, my first concern is if first of all I understand completely why that formation seems like a good idea. Um, whether we call it a five, two, three, or a three, four, three, you know, however we want to, uh, you know, phrase it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not super, I'm not super big in formations as far as like having to like put numbers on everything, but I do think from a starting perspective, it makes sense. And, and clearly when you look at this formation and you have three center backs on the field together, we all understand that that's three center backs with your normal outside backs, wing backs. So it's essentially, it's going to look like five. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times you see a five, three, two, not a five, two, three, but the way they lined up, I just felt like, I agree with you. And I, I go back to the point I made last night, the three center backs, just because you throw an extra defender on the field and specifically an additional center back does not mean that you will get better defensively. And I think what it does cause is it causes problems in communication and assignments and familiarity. And all three of those center backs have played together as two. Very rarely have they played three in the back where they put Brent in there, unless it's to lock down a game, hold down a lead. You know, even I think one game, Debassi came out and Brent came in when when you're trying to hang on to a game late and Mm. not allow a goal. To me, that's different as opposed to starting that way. And you have three center backs where who's stepping, who's dropping, whose job is it to slide, whose job is it to cover, who's marking in the box. And on top of that, you take Ozzy out of the mix, who's played the last few games with Will in that holding midfield role, and they've been phenomenal together. And this is not again, this is not a knock on Jacory Hayes tonight. This was right. just a knock on uh, on the pairing and the unfamiliarity. So you've thrown unfamiliar pairing in front of an unfamiliar back three that I just feel you're 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 taking out the comfort level that they have with each other when they play two center backs, and so. And you look at DC United and the numbers that they throw forward. And look, a lot of teams do that now. This is not unusual that you've got your wingbacks coming up. You've got these formations. You've got these central midfielders. The, the fluidity of the attack. You know, you had Gordy Rainey, Julian Gressel, Nahar getting in the mix. Like everybody mm-hmm. except for basically Donovan Pines and Steve Birnbaum were involved in the attack in some and, way, shape, or And form. Donovan Pines tried a bicycle kick. Yeah, <laughs> I know. I mean, like, well, uh, first of all, his legs look like toothpicks. I don't know how he doesn't break a leg, but, um, but I just think that I, I, that made me nervous because I just think you would have been better off. And of course, hindsight's always twenty twenty, right? Sure. We can yeah. all sit here, but even as the game had gone on and I had that initial thought, but you know, and, and I, 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 and maybe I think too much about this, but I sometimes worry about the message it sends to the team when you throw extra defenders out there in, in an unfamiliar formation on the road, 
that that you don't have confidence that they can get it done in their usual formation. And yes, you're without Ozzy Alonso. Yes, you're without Emmanuel Reynoso. And they've been without, you know, Hassani Dotson for some time now. And Young Gregu is still on the injury list. But um, if you had gone with a 4-2-3-1, if you had gone with your normal formation, you'd have an extra body in midfield mm-hmm. that could be a little bit more defensive in the three. And then you still would have, let's say you put Adrian Anu up top and you had, or, you know, however you want to do it. You could, you know, if, if you had Rob, you have Robin Liddy, you have Ethan Finley, you have Frago Pane, you have, so let's say you drop someone a little bit more central, or you just have the movement and the fluidity of those three in, in Ethan Finley and, and Robin Lud and Fragapane because none of them really stay central and none of them really stay on the wing anyway. And then you put Adrian Anu up top and you have, Ja'Cory Hayes and Will Trapp sitting underneath in the two. Mm-hmm. You have that extra body in midfield, and then you also have more attack to go forward. But defensively, everybody knows their responsibilities. And Will Trapp and Ja'Cory Hayes could stay home a little bit more. And then you have Boxel and Debassi who are so comfortable alongside of each other. So, you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty, but I, I just think it, it causes some confusion um, when you, when you change it up like that, I understand the thought process behind it, but it kind of felt like they, they weren't necessarily positioned to succeed. I don't necessarily agree with Adrian about that. They were outworked or that they were, you know, didn't play hard enough. I just felt like they were sort of being run ragged Mm -hmm. by what DC was doing. And so they never had the ball long enough to really, you know, get, get themselves together. You know, I mean, yeah. the the back line was being pulled all out of position. I mean, look at the one goal where you had Baki Debasi out on the wing marking Ola Kamara. Mm-hmm. So Ola Kamara did really well to drag out one of the center backs oftentimes. So a player that normally stays central and doesn't stray from the box, Ola Kamara, was dragging one of those center backs out of position. Then you have these other guys that aren't quite sure where they need to be and when they need to be there. And you've got all these Areola, Julian Gressel, Jordi Reyna. You know, we could go through the list and, and Knaus getting in the mix and, mm-hmm. and Nahar. And everybody's trying to figure out who's marking who and who's covering where. And, you know, Chase and, and um, Metzenier getting pulled out of position a little bit as the runners are coming inside and they're tracking. But you know, and then you're trying to pass off players. So it's tough to see a little bit on the monitor because sometimes it felt like the camera was really zoomed in. If, if anybody doesn't know, we called the, you know, the games off of a monitor right. in the stadium club. So at times it felt like it was a little zoomed in. So I couldn't fully appreciate and see all the movement that was happening off the ball or out of camera shot, but it felt like that was the case. And I just wonder if he would have thrown out a four, two, three, one, but without Ozzy and without Ray, would they have just had a, a higher confidence level and, and a more familiarity with the shape and the the personnel to go out there and get the job done? That's what I wonder. Yeah, I mean, DC United is a weird team. I mean, it's also tough because you're not, you don't see them, you know, like it, you can watch tape on them or whatever like that. But, you know, Ola Kamara is, is the golden boot leader right now. But that's with eight penalty kicks like yeah. it's it's crazy the, should the have had nine i mean yeah, right nine <laughs> right. of his how many of her goals eight of his how many of her goals are penalties first of all is it weird that they get this many penalties I, 
I mean, it's one of those what's things that going I'm like, on here? They, like, this is absurdly unusual. I mean, and it's, they're it's, not that much better at creating them. I mean, everybody has numbers inside the box and players that can create contact. Yeah. Is it that Paul Ariola's five six and goes down really easily? Is it? I, you know, I don't. It? It's one of those things that, like, you know, I work on um, the the for the game notes. We have first touches, which are sort of the you know quick facts and everything like that. And every time I go through and you see like the penalty kick goals. Like Kamara's leading with whatever he has eight now. The next nearest people are there's like five people tied with three each, but he's had eight penalties, you know, like he's scored eight. He should have been nine. You know, it's like it's weird because DC got two penalty kick opportunities, you know, and then the other, I mean, other than the goal that sort of put it to bed was an assist from your golden boot leader to Julian Gressel, who has 11 assists, but had zero goals up to that point. Like it was a it's a, that's a weird setup, you know, like it's, it's an odd situation. I, I think that the thing that I saw from Minnesota United, that was, you know, because, you know, partly because of how DC United plays with that press and not having that, that connection, just by having a third center back on there, you had to see every once in a while, a center back bringing the ball up because it was very hard to connect the back line to that, to that midfield. And then suddenly you're like, well, it's not ideal. I mean, I love boxy, but it's not ideal to have Michael Boxall bringing the ball up into the midfield. Um, and it just felt like, you know, DC's pressure was so high that like you had to bring a center back in because they weren't going to pressure the center backs as much, but then it kept leading to, you know, clearances or sort of long passes that would get intercepted and just send it back the other way. And it's that thing we've seen before. It's not strictly that has to do with this formation or anything like that, but that making that connection from the back line to the midfield, just, it didn't, it didn't seem like it was really there uh, last night. Well, and they're one of the higher pressing teams in the league. And that's kind of here now Lozada's Lozada's, you know, MO, like that's what yeah. he's done with this group. And when you throw those kind of numbers and those kind of players forward, and I didn't even mention Paredes, you know, and yep. Felipe Martins and, you know, all these players that have the ability to press and they're at home too, you know? So, I mean, like give them credit for executing a game plan and, and putting that kind of pressure on right from the get go. And again, I think they felt a little hard done from their four two win over FC Cincinnati felt like they got, you know, let something slip away. So give them credit for what they did and how they like to play and, and doing it. But I, I agree with you that. And then I said this last night in the broadcast, look, we talk about Robin Lode being a holdup player. He's a holdup player on top of the offensive 18 in the sense that you can play a ball into his feet or he can take a cheeky touch and he can shield it long enough to drop it back to who's ever making the run behind him. But he's not a launch the ball from Tyler Miller, you know, Baki Debassi, Brent Coleman, Michael Boxel to really pressure defensively right. up to the center circle. And he's going to hold up the ball until everyone can join in. And that's what they were trying to do a few times. And you've got Steve Birnbaum and you, as we talked about Donovan Pines, as they're basically their defenders because Nahar goes forward so much. Mm -hmm. and, and so they could never get the offense going with numbers. And it just wasn't, it wasn't happening in transition. Well, this wasn't like, oh, we're going to, you know, counter attack and, and go three against three because they had three in the back with your three and try to take <laughs> advantage of a numbers opportunity there. Um, so that's the only reason I say like maybe the four, two, three, one, where you have that extra body in midfield and then you have that linking person could mm -hmm. Robin Lud have, let's call it Robin Lud to play almost like a Reynoso yeah. in front of Will Trapp and Ja'Cory Hayes and under Adrian Anu. And then he can be that link in the middle as you're getting pressed in the back and connect the back to the front. Um, and again, hindsight, it can all be 2020, but, um, and we don't see DC United very often 
And I just think that, you know, yeah, we can take a look back now, but it just felt like there was something missing right from the get go. And, you know, not that they were like positioned to fail, but I don't know if it was the best position to succeed. If mm-hmm. that makes sense, you know, and they're yeah. soccer players. I mean, they play in different positions. So I understand yeah. Adrian's point too, about formations and these guys move around, but the unfamiliarity, I'm telling you, I, I think the three in the back just kind of messes it up right away. And that's nothing against the three players that are actually out there. Right. It's just yeah. the way they just, they just don't play that way that often. So to ask that, you know, for 90 minutes against a team that throws that many guys forward that are dangerous, I think that's a, a tough ask. Yeah. I mean, I think there's something that happens with soccer where, you know, as a team develops chemistry and sort of all the players get to know each other, you see like Debassi and Boxall at play over their heads because they're playing with each other and they know each other. Well, it's like, they almost play like two and a half, you know, center backs. And then if you add a third, it somehow, it sort of diminishes each of their contributions in a way. And it feels like you lose a little something. The idea of Lud in the midfield is also interesting because I mean, Heath has said before that Lud has played, he's played the number eight, he's played the number 10, he's played center forward. He's played on the wing, um, dropping him into a position to play either in a four, two, three, one, or a four, three, three, even as part of sort of a, a three person midfield with who knew up top, but you also need Lud's goal scoring, which is actually one of the things um, I want to talk about as we look ahead to FC Dallas. Um, I, again, another place I dug into the numbers a little bit. It's pretty fair to say that Minnesota United will go as far as Reynoso and Lud can take them um, it, it, sort of as the key people. There how does been, that make, how nervous does that make you though? Well, you know, like at this point in the season, nobody nobody's walking through that door like to to, to borrow from no, I, other I agree. sports you know? I agree. so yeah yeah <laughs> so there's 13 games there have been there's the Minnesota United have played uh 26 games total at this point 13 of those games have featured both Reynoso and Wood okay 13 of those games had feature have featured one of them or neither of them okay in the 13 games with both of them the team is seven two and four and that includes three losses that were in that first four losses, um, you know, which are Wait, sort so of are a, we going win, loss, draw there or win, that draw, is loss? win, draw, loss. Sorry. Okay. That's I'm good. going by the, the MLS. They changed their, 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 uh, they changed it to win, loss, draw. Yeah, I know. So I'm used to okay. the win, draw, loss. So. Okay. I'm just making sense that that's the only reason I asked because <laughs> I, I mean, I think everyone's confused and yes. you know, FIFA does it different than lo- like whatever. So I okay. don't even know what week so it is at this point. So, yeah. so, so that's seven four wins. losses. Yes. Four losses. Okay. And that's, that cool. includes three losses that started this, you know, there was that four yes. loss streak at the beginning of the game uh, of the season. Okay. So that's even with those three losses, which were weird, as part of those four losses, that's 1.85 points per game, which is basically sporting Kansas city or Colorado pace. Like that's sort of where you're looking at number two, three in the conference. If you take off those three losses, which I'm not saying you should losses are losses. They happen with both those guys in the pitch. It's that's 2.4 points per game, basically since that, that early swoon in the 13 games with either one of them or neither of them, they have three wins, five draws and five losses, which includes one of those losses from the beginning. That's 1.08 points per game, which is basically slightly better than Houston, Dallas, or like Chicago in the Eastern conference. So that's pretty bad. Did you you break it down into Homer road? I didn't bring it down into Homer Road. Okay. I just because that at, would be my only other caveat. Sure. You know, sure. how were they like where were they positionally playing with each other? Because I agree with you. Yes. The, the, the value of, you know, and I don't want to say that, you know, Robin Lloyd's more valuable than Emmanuel Renoso or vice versa, because I think that, you know, clearly together they're right. capable of a lot. Um right. and, and they they read the game, they play the game the same way. So there's just a, let's go back to the Houston game, that ball over the top 
that Ray picks up his head and pings it over the back line, over two defenders, knowing that Robin is going to bring that ball down one touch or, or, or hit it one touch out of the air from an awkward angle, having the confidence in your teammate to even play that ball, knowing that they can handle that ball, mm-hmm. I think tells you a lot about those two players and the quality and how they play the same. But I also think that they have to find a way to manufacture some offense without one or mm-hmm. both of them, you know, and last night they had Robin. And again, it's on a, on the road in a strange formation. Mm-hmm. They had Robin in the nine role in the forward role and they didn't have Reynoso. I don't think if they would have had Reynoso on the field last night, they would have won that game. I don't, I, I just don't, I just, sure. just the way that game played out and I get it. There would probably been a different formation, but let's say, They'd even played a four-two-three-one. I'm I'm still not sure in in if Ray would have been in there. Clearly, you have more confidence. Your team has more confidence. The the players have more confidence. But they have to find a way to have that confidence without those players. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you do that because let's let's aside from Rui Diaz, let's say Seattle for example, out Jordan Morris and out Nico Ladero most of the season. Now Christian Roldan has stepped up, mm-hmm. but like uh, there there needs to be people like that that have the confidence that they can get the job done without some of those star players, Carlos Vela. Now LAFC has looked terrible in their last two games, but aside from that, they found a way prior to find results without Carlos Vela. Now they, and then, and without Diego Rossi until the last two games. So I just think that some, it's got to come from somewhere else. And, and soccer is one of those sports when you have 11 guys on the field that they have to find a way to contribute in other ways. And I just don't want to be, yes, Reynoso is the best player. There's a reason why you brought him in. There's a reason why you paid him a lot of money. You just don't want to go in with that mindset that you cannot win without these guys. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that I, I think that as a fan, and I think that I would think that if I was a player on the team. And so it's like this double-edged sword where, you know, Adrian made that comment in the post game after the three, nothing went over LA galaxy. Well, that's what happens when your best player is on the field. I know I get the message he's trying to send right. to others, but what message does that also send to your locker room that, okay, well, if we don't have our best guy, we don't, we're not going to be able to, you know, I, I yeah. just think we, there's a happy medium there, a balance. Cause I agree with you numbers and on the field, clearly when they're on, that's the best Minnesota looks. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, I, I, in some ways it's like, you just go by the brute numbers. Lud leads the team in scoring. Reynoso leads it in assists. You don't have those guys. Like, it's not rocket science. Like, those yeah. are your most useful players. But I think it also, I mean, it's sort of on the other end, we talked about uh, defensively how Boxel and Debassi complement each other and work together in a certain way. There's certain guys that if you have Reynoso and Lud and they're taking up a lot of attention, Ethan Finley looks a lot better when when, when, those, when those guys are on the field. You know, it's it's one of those things that without those guys, suddenly the burden on Finley is a lot heavier. And I think as a player who's, you know, he's, he is an engine. He never stops going, but he's not like a canny playmaker. He's not going to like beat somebody off the dribble consistently or things like that. You know, it's like, again, I think he, he took that shot from distance a couple of games ago that hit off the, the woodwork. And it was like, that's unexpected. Like you almost never see him shoot from outside of, of the box, you know? So it, you know, it, it's like, you need all these pieces to start working together to a certain extent. I still believe 
not maybe not this season. I do believe down the line that Unu is still going to be a productive player. I sort of think he's I Cal and I have talked about this before. I think he might sort of just be on that track that Lud was on where it's like you came in at a time that was tough and there you just need a, a hard reset to sort of resettle into the team. He's had some good games. Um, you know, he had that game against, I think it was against Houston where he had two goals and there was no you know, Reynoso for him, you know? And so yeah. it's like, he, there's flashes. Fragapane is also a player who I think he's working his way back. I think he can be one of those guys who can step in. I think he's, he's still only, he's played 11 games, I believe at this mm-hmm. point. Um, so he's, his consistency is still not quite there, but man, when he's on there, he's, he's like first or second in assists per 90 minutes or per game or something like that, because he's just, he's producing very efficiently when he is available. So I think the pieces are there it's sort of an open question of, is that going to round into form before the season ends? Like, is it going to happen in time? Uh, that's sort of the question I have. Yeah. And I, I think um, you are spot on with saying that when you have those other players on the field, they attract a lot of attention and it opens up space for others to work because the defense has to key on those players. It's much like when we talk about, you know, let's say a, a player cuts inside and there's an overlapping run. Like if Roma Metzenier continues to run and an overlapping run and, and Reynoso mm-hmm. or somebody cuts inside with the ball. Well, like that may be a fruitless run in the sense that he's not going to get the ball, but it asks a question of the defender and it opens up the space in for Reynoso. So when you have a player like Reynoso or you have a player like Robin Lud that's on the field and it attracts attention. So again, going back to when your best players are on the field, it doesn't necessarily mean they're getting on the score sheet. Mm-hmm. but they are affecting the opposition with just them being on the field. And yes. I think that is a huge piece of what you get from Reynoso, what you get from Robin Lloyd, aside from their quality actually on the ball and creating and finishing chances. And I do think Fragapane is, uh, is a workhorse and has the same kind of engine that Ethan Finley does, but more quality on the ball, you know, mm-hmm. can cut inside and combine, has the same mind that a Robin Lloyd and an Emmanuel Reynoso do in the same way they read the game and the combination play. And, and and then I think it's just picking and choosing your moments of when everybody cuts inside, because if everybody's cutting inside at the same time, (laughs) then where does Reynoso have to go to find the ball and you drift out wide sometimes. So, you know, everybody can't get involved inside at the same time because then it limits and it drags all the defenders in. And and I don't know that Chase Gassman and Roma Metzenier are, are a threat enough to they're a threat enough to go forward and create, but not to score. Right. Um, so you don't want to open up the channels, you know, consistently and just have always your playmakers cutting inside. So, uh, I mean, clearly they're better with them on the field. I just, you know, I just, I do think this roster is for sure the best that Minnesota United has had since they've yeah. gone to MLS. And you just want to see them consistently perform. I think it's a little bit too much of the up and downs, the peaks and the valleys. And you want to see a level of consistency from this group, regardless of the opposition, regardless of your home or on the road, and regardless of who's on the field. And I think that that's sort of what I'm, I'm waiting to see when you have these lulls against a team like Sporting Kansas City and uh, Seattle on the road, tough Mm -hmm. places to play for sure. And, and without your best players for sure, but then you have these highs against LA Galaxy and in Houston at home. So we, get, we there's got to be a little bit of a, a happy medium in there because guess what? If you make it to the playoffs and you don't host a playoff game, you're going on the road against one of the best teams and, and you don't yeah. know who's going to be available. You know? Yeah, yeah. I prior to the the DC game in the last four games, uh, the team had scored five goals and conceded five goals, but not 
had not scored and conceded in the same game. So, they, you know, like they had either been shut yeah. out or they had been doing the shutting out, you know? So it is, you know, it's going to be interesting. I, I found myself thinking last night that if they can, given that the team has, again, um, underperformed their expected goals overall uh, and expected goals is one of the better indicators of just, you know, future success. If a team has good expected goals, you would expect them to get up there. LA galaxy. We've seen, for example, they really outperformed their expected goals early and they've come back down to earth based on that. If Minnesota United can get that home playoff game, I think you might see that, that, that expected goal thing begin to predict some success for them at home as long as they're playing at home. Um, but they have to get there first. So let's talk about FC Dallas. Let's touch directly on FC Dallas a little bit just to think about this opponent. Um, another Texas team uh, that Minnesota has never won away and has not lost to at home, I believe. Um, they have not won in a month. They fired Luchi Gonzalez, their coach. It seems like when they announced that firing, it seemed like Man, coaching FC Dallas is a, sort of a thankless endeavor. You're going to get these amazing young players who come out of some of the best systems in the country, and then they're going to get sold for a lot of money, and people are going to complain that you didn't win because you, these players didn't play together, even though they're, they're all already they're, they're, their bags are already packed to head to Germany or someplace like that. Um, what, do you, what is FC Dallas's outlook for the rest of the season? Do you see them competing for one of these sort of bottom seeds in the playoffs, or is it – I mean, are they going to get a, a dead cat bounce out of a new coach or is it just, this is who they are? I, I think this is who they are for this year. And I think, you know, they had a good thing going with Oscar Pereja. Mm-hmm. I think he, um, I do think he's a, a good coach. I don't know him personally, but just having covered him and I covered him a little bit um, for Fox when I was doing playoff games for MLS prior to Minnesota United. And I think that the players like him and that he has a, a unique, not a unique style of coaching, but they had a good thing going. And then Oscar Breha wasn't the answer. And then they, you know, they, they hire Lucci Gonzalez and you think, okay, well, he coached all these Academy kids, like basically everybody who's come through their system in the, in an Academy form and is now on the, the senior team on the first team has gone through Lucci Gonzalez. Well, Part of me feels like this is sort of what you see sometimes when a college coach starts coaching pros Mm. is it's not the same. The managing of the personalities, the managing of the DPs, the managing of the international players, the managing of, you know, the egos. And it's a tough task. And and similar to what we see when even an assistant coach becomes a head coach, it's not always a sure thing. And I do think that that's maybe what we saw a little bit with Lucci. And I agree with you about this, this developing of talent and then selling it before they even maybe step on the first team with the first team and maybe just a handful of games before they sell them on. But they're not maybe replacing that talent with other talent um, with the money that they're making from these. And it was interesting. I kind of was listening to Lexi Lawless the other day rant about this because, you know, he's old school MLS and he wants MLS to uh, aspire to be one of the best leagues in the world, which we all know it may never get there, but you know, you can't say, and, and we were saying what's exciting that MLS is now a selling league, but if you're not, if you're not still retaining players to be, or try to be one of the better leagues in the world, what are we accomplishing here? Mm-hmm. You know, you don't just want it to be a stepping stone, whether that's for internally for Academy kids 
or for externally for international youngsters that are coming over from some countries and then finding their form like Miguel Almoron and then going on and being sold on because their aspirations are to play in Europe. And we, I understand, I totally get why players want to go play in Europe and other, and other leagues around the world. But, you know, I think he said the phrase, you know, how can we say we're the league of choice when our own players aren't choosing the league? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So I, yeah. I think, and I think that's part of what SC Dallas and some of these clubs with good academies are struggling to balance right now. Yes. And you're not doing a, a proper service to your fan base, which is your clientele to pay money on tickets to come and watch you when the best players that you are developing within your own state are not staying. You know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. I don't know what, I, I don't think Dallas is a playoff team this year. I just don't. And I don't think this is one of those things where they get a bounce from a coaching change. I mean, this is an assistant coach who's been there since 2004. So he was there under Oscar Perea mm-hmm. and, and others. So um, I just think that they've got a lot to sort out. They've got an insane amount of young talent. Yeah. You know, we just talked about it, but they also have a lot of young talent, you know, um, their back line is they're they're kind of switching it over. It seemed like to young talent, and that's where they've been leaking goals. And then you've got goal scoring ability in Ricardo Pepe and Jesus Ferreira and and Paxton Pomacall if he can stay healthy. But you know if you're leaking goals at an insane rate, then you're going to have a problem. So um, yeah. it's a bummer because I think it's a weird market. Dallas is yeah. a weird market. You know you got the soccer hall of fame there, but like nobody goes to the games. It's, right. They've been successful there, but like no one goes to the games. It's a weird vibe in, in Dallas. Um, and you've got an insane soccer culture as far as the youth and the, the facility there with the, the fields around um, the stadium and the different tournaments that they, you know, put on. But it's just, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I have no idea where they're going with their next coach. That's yeah. the crazy part <laughs> is I have no idea what direction they want to go in. Yeah, it's funny because the the thing with the coach is that I mean, as you're saying, I think I think we saw that like one of the major problems that 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 Luigi Gonzalez had was that was that DP situation. Like you bring in Frank O'Hara and he doesn't really perform the way you need him to. And so, like, how do you how do you do that? The thing is, is that that's not going to change. Like the team is still going to have a lot of young talent and you need to find some. So on the the one hand, you feel like Luigi Gonzalez connects very well with the young talent. On the other hand, you also want to have you know, top tier players who can be bought with money, maybe theoretically that you get from selling this, this young talent and connect with them as well. That's not going to, that's not going to change. So like, how do you find that right guy? You know, they're sort of like, you know, I guess, unless you have Tata Martino, you know, who's like, (laughs) that was the guy, right. It was like, you get, you have some young talent, you have established people. He puts it all together. We're like Atlanta United is a dynasty forever. And then I just like, fizzles because you need to keep doing that over and over again. You need to keep churning this. And it's, it's a very unexpected or unfamiliar thing for American fans. I think like if you look at most leagues in America, you know, I having come now years ago from the NBA, obviously the NBA is like, you get, you get young guys who turn into superstars or you go out and get superstars and bring them to your team. This sort of third line of you have superstars and you have young guys who you develop, but then you also move your young guys somewhere else to get more money, to get more guys, but there's also a salary cap. Like it's a little unusual. It can be very weird for fans. I think to sort of both be celebrating your players success and also happy that they're not on your 
team anymore somehow later, like down, down the line. I think that, I think that makes it a very tough thing for fans to navigate. Maybe that's some of the problem in Dallas with, you know, the market being so robust for young talent, but not resulting in a team that you are like, these are the guys, especially I was going to throw out there. Forgot to mention this earlier with, you know, like you said, the defense has been problematic. You have these guys like Ryan Hollingshead who are sort of like, yeah man I did like the rock back there and they're they're losing those guys now you know so you don't have that element and I think maybe that maybe that's some of the problem that they're having there yeah and I think that there's a couple academies there's a couple clubs that are like that that have these solid academies and and I know there was just kind of a rant from um a Red Bulls group about what they've done as far as developing young talent but their team has been a little subpar and then you have you know, Philadelphia, who's still up and near the top of the Eastern Conference, but they've sold on a couple players and Jim Curtin and they're big into this development and what they've been able to do. But are, are they going to be able to consistently be good? And then you have Sporting Kansas City, who is kind of found a way and they utilized, you know, Busio for a while before they sold him on. Mm-hmm. And they have a, they have to seem to have a solid replacement for him before they decided to sell him on. So maybe some of it is about selling them at the right time for the right reasons, not just selling them at the first offer that comes along to ensure that there is going to be someone that's going to be able to take their place. If that was a starting youngster, if that was somebody that was solidifying a certain position on the field for your club, they haven't missed a beat without Busio. Mm-hmm. And I actually was like, well, that's crazy. Like he just came back from, was it the gold cup he played in, I believe? Yeah, um, yep. you know, and, and did okay there, but, and all of a sudden he was gone. He never played with him again. And now he's in Italy playing. So, and they haven't missed a beat. So I think some of it is just how the clubs navigate that, that if they are going to develop these young players, utilize them for a bit and sell them on at the right time, not just for the club, but for the player as well. And then being able to backfill that position, whether it's with another Academy player or somebody that you already have on the roster that you, you know, have available. So I, I'm not sure where Dallas goes from here because we've been touting them for so long about kind of this prodigy when it comes to academies and young players. But if your first team isn't, you know, performing, then what good is a great academy? And what, right. you know what I mean? So right. I, I think the league and the and the, the teams and the clubs are going to have to try to figure out what it is that they want. Right. It's like where you start, you're sharing for allocation money. <laughs> like, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right, so just, just to, just to put the, 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 the period on this one, um, what do you think for Minnesota's prospects going to Texas once again, where they always seem to have trouble? Do you think they can pull out a road point here? If they have everybody healthy and available, absolutely. No doubt in my mind. And I'm, and again, I'm not knocking the fact that like the other guys can't get the job done. I'm purely talking about minutes played by guys and depth of roster and rotation at this point. But do I think that this is a team that is capable of getting a road win against FC Dallas? For sure. Um, This could be one of those weird trap games. And Tyler Miller has talked about this, even when the Houston game at home, as you have a team that is struggling, made the coaching change, they're playing at home again. They haven't been able to find their form. And now you have Minnesota coming to town and you find a way to lock it down. They'll be without Brian Acosta. He got a red card in the game last night. um, So they're down a man there. But um, I think ultimately this is a team in Minnesota that you're going to have to start finding some points on the road. Um, to stay in and above the playoff line and possibly get in that fourth position. You can't just rely on your home wins um, from this point forward. And that, to be honest, I think that puts almost too much pressure on your home games, which you mm-hmm. do need to win at home. 
but you don't want to you don't want to look like you can't find a way to get points on the road, especially against a Western Conference team when you just basically rested Reynoso and Ozzy for a Western Conference opponent in FC Dallas. So this is a this is a game that they need to find the three points from a struggling FC Dallas team, kind of step on them while they're down and get your mojo back um, to return home and play Colorado, which is not going to be an easy game. Yeah, it's always the most important game of the season. Is the next exactly. game. Exactly, a must always. win. It's a must win. <laughs> well, certainly a win in Dallas would 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 make the the loss in in DC go down a little easier. If you look at a week and you have two away games and you get three points out of it, then again you're you're sort of feeling feeling okay about that. So we'll hope that's the case. And then yeah, that Colorado game that'll be the next most important. Game fingers crossed. Ever. I know yeah, right. no one can see this, but I'm crossing my fingers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Kendra, uh, for stepping in here. Thanks for joining us for the 159th Sound of the Loons podcast presented by Alina Health Orthopedics. Be sure to leave us a nice review on iTunes or at the very least a five-star rating and follow the team on Twitter at MNUFC. Uh, side note here, my uh, wife uh, got upset with me. Not upset. The other night I was reading to my daughter and she was like, I had to close the door because she was reading to the other daughter. She was like, you were using your podcast voice. And so I, I think I was a little <laughs> too loud. Uh, but this is definitely the the read is definitely the podcast voice. So you can follow Kendra at Kendra Sports and you can follow me at Steve Entrist. Apologies, as always, to Richard Wagner. And remember, there's only one person in this whole world like you and people can like you exactly as you are. <laughs>